Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. This morning, I'm going to read from Mark, our familiar um, chapter that we're reading from, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered there that no room was left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was laying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on heaven, on earth, I mean, to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, Get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Well, I I, um, am just incredibly thankful for this church. Um, We, for Columbus, um, we we were formerly called Catalyst for Columbus, so if some of you are wondering, I've I've never heard of for Columbus, but maybe you've heard of Catalyst. Um, we launched the Learning Extension Centers um, across the city during the pandemic, and uh, you guys were on the list uh, of, of people engaging in that work, and we, there was a whole team and a whole bunch of intercessors, thousands of people praying for Carl Rowe Baptist during that and, and many, other, um, many other churches, and so I'm really thankful. And I actually used to live down the street, so I've driven by here a million times, so it's really cool to be able to come in and, and see um, what's going on here? And I am extremely thankful for Pastor Josh. Um, it's just, it just kind of blown my mind in a lot of ways to see what God's done in his life. And um, it just, I'm just overwhelmingly thankful and, and grateful for just for you and, and for what God has done in you. And, and so, yeah, I'm just really thankful to be here and really to get into this passage uh, from Mark chapter two, you know, I, I I was thinking of how how can I start this, and so the the best way to start it, I think, is just to kind of figure out how do I relate to Jesus in this, and it made me think of this story many years ago where I, I was preaching in a setting very similar to this, um, and when I was preaching, uh, it was completely packed. There was people were shoulder to shoulder. And, and it was at the, the sanctuary or the, the um, church building was kind of dark. And I all of a sudden 
see a whole bunch of people start like popping their shoulders and jumping up and, and, and I'm, I'm preaching, but I'm looking at them thinking, what, what is going on? Like all, all these people are all jumping around and uh, people started literally jumping on the pew. My preaching is not that good in case you wondered and you started getting excited. It, it's not that good, but all this commotion broke out and uh, all these people were jumping up and I noticed they were kind of doing it row by row and I'm thinking, oh gosh, we're in the city, there's a huge rat or there's some kind of sewer leak going on. Uh, and, and so I just had to stop, what's going on? <laughs> and, and a guy yells out, sorry, my dog is loose. And so apparently a, uh, a dog had gotten loose and was dashing under all the pews and surprising everybody as it was dashing through and scurrying between people's legs. Um, now, I could, I could tell a, a whole bunch of interesting stories of things that have happened while I've been preaching, some of them appropriate, some of them not very appropriate to see uh, when you're standing in front of a lot of people and you're looking at people, what, what happens um, uh, maybe if some people need to take a nap, that's just permission. You can take a nap. Some people, you know, it's just, it, it can get real wild to be able to stand up here and see everybody's face while you preach. And for Jesus, he was in the same kind of boat. He's in a packed out house and he's seeing all these people um, all around him, all the chaos and the laughter that was all happening, um, everything that was going on. Um, in this little tiny house. And we see Jesus, he, he's at home. And that's why I, I love how uh, Mark is setting this up. He's not um, a guest. He's not out somewhere else. He's, it says he's at home. He's in Capernaum. And most likely this is the home of Peter. And that's probably really important as you imagine the story. He's at home, maybe Peter's home, uh, a place he felt comfortable, a place he knew, uh, where normal life met um, deeply holy moment. I mean, this is not just a, a church building or a temple or something like that. This is a home. And so the word had spread about the power of Jesus' teaching and the power of his miracles. So people piled in from all over to see what Jesus was all about and what he was going to do. They wanted to know what is next. So it was clearly crowded to the point where people are standing outside and they're trying to listen and they're trying to process all that he's saying. We don't know exactly what he was teaching on, but we can, we can see that he was, it was centered on preaching the word. That means that he was going back into the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, and he's bringing life into these passages where he's talking about how all of these passages speak about the coming Messiah, speak about um, the, the power of the good news that is about to come and that is being fulfilled in the Messiah and him and the forgiveness of their sins and all of that stuff. He's, he's unpacking all of that. Yet while he is doing that, and I imagine people are absolutely just completely enthralled with paying attention to what Jesus is teaching about, a little dirt starts to fall from the ceiling. And eyes and ears that are wrapped up in, in what Jesus is saying. They're getting a little distracted. People are looking, what is, what is happening in this? Now, I, I just can't help but stop and think about Peter. Just 
think about Peter, who he is. If you know anything about him, I mean, he's a little bit of a wild card, right? He's the guy that gets the sword out and is gonna kill the high priest because they're coming to arrest Jesus. Cuts off his ear, can't get the whole head, but he got the ear. He's trying. So this is Peter, so he's a little wild. And he, this, this might be his house. And, and so I'm just imagining this, putting myself in this story. Uh, he's probably got hand on sword and he's thinking, if there is somebody up there messing with my roof, somebody's getting pushed off, you know, right? That's what I'm thinking anyway. I mean, that's, that's, that's probably what's going through his mind. But all this commotion starts to happen in the ceiling. The, the hole, a hole starts to get made big enough for somebody to actually squeeze through. And at this point, Jesus has got to have stopped. I assume he's got to stop unless he's just really got everybody's attention that well, but he's got to stop and just watch what's happening. Somebody's coming through the ceiling. Now, of course, I, I get into the, the, when I'm studying this and I'm trying to understand what's really going on here, I got a lot of technical questions going on. I'm like, well, how big, how big was this hole? Like, what, what's, how do you rip all this up? You know, was, the roof is made of mud and, and, and there's tiles and it would be pretty simple to deconstruct. But I'm thinking also like, if somebody's doing this to my house, we're going to have some issues. You know, there's, how, how do you just get away with ripping a hole in the ceiling? And, and I'm, I'm having all these kind of questions. But the biggest question that goes through my mind as I wrote some of these questions down, the biggest one was what would possess this man or even his friends? What would possess this gang of people to go to such great lengths to get close to Jesus? What is inside you that just boils up so hot that you, have just, you will rip the roof off to get near Jesus? I mean, the determination, the passion, the risk uh, of facing Peter, right? Are, are they, they're willing to destroy the roof. They're willing to even interrupt Jesus' teaching and they're willing to make this big, awkward scene. I mean, that just the awkwardness of it is enough for me to be like, nah, I'm not gonna do it. I mean, think of how awkward it is. Everybody's looking at you. You're, you're doing vandalism and you're doing this in front of the son of God. And, and I, I, I step back and I think, man, would I, do I have friends that would do this for me? I don't know if Josh would do this for me. I don't think I would do it for him, <laughs> right? We, this is a big, big question going on in my mind. What possesses them to wanna do this, to get near Jesus? But here we are. This man has some amazing friends. And they're lowering, they've ripped the, the, the hole in the, in the ceiling. They're lowering him through. And look what Jesus does with this distraction. Again, he's not hopping in and he's saying, you guys, come on, couldn't you wait until after? Couldn't you wait until later? But he looks and it says, verse five, when Jesus saw their faith. Just stop right there. See, Jesus has this way of seeing past what we see. 
Jesus has a way of seeing past what we see. If, if we're there, we see the rudeness. This is absolutely rude. We see the destroyed roof. We see the interruption. We have a way of looking at the surface of humanity, don't we? We look at the surface of this situation and we do this in our everyday lives, right? We have a way to look at skin color. We have a way at looking at clothes, at smell, at attitudes, cultural norms, job titles. Maybe if we wanna go a little deep, we wanna see how many Instagram followers do they have. We have a way of looking at these things and creating divisions, creating lines. Where do they stand in society? Even if it's just subtle, we do this. We see the surface and we make a, a judgment call. But Jesus, in all of this, in all of the chaos, he looks at the very center of their soul. And not only the man's faith, but the friend's. I mean, look, look it says their faith. He is seeing, he saw their faith. There's plural here. This is a team of faithful friends looking out for a faith-filled man. Now, let me, let me just poke on that for a quick second because some, some of us really need to hear this. We're, we're in a world where we're just extremely lonely. We're so lonely. Our teenagers are lonely. We've got phones to distract us. We, we, we just live in a lonely space. But faith here is, is, is what, what Jesus just kind of quickly points out. If we think of, we think of faith individually, but it often comes in packs. Men and women spurring deeper faith in each other through friendship, through trust, through encouragement. And it's worth pointing out that we need one another to grow in faith. We need each other to get to the point where these folks were. We need each other, these kinds of relationships. If it's just left to me and my own proclivities, I would grow faithless if I'm really honest. I need friends. I need my small group. I need brothers and sisters investing in me and I investing in them. We would do well just even right here, if, you, if you're a Bible underliner, just to box out or underline that word there. Now, faith, I know that's gonna get underlined. That's important. But that idea of there over just mine. So seeing their faith, he says to the paralytic, see how he goes from there as a group into now. He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, this man and his friends were clearly looking for physical healing. The guy was lame. He needed physical hearing, healing. They wanted to see the man jump up right then and there, run in the room, legs healed, celebrating. But Jesus addresses this grown man by calling him son. What do you think was in this man's background where he needed to hear 
the word son. So many of us carry deep wounds passed on generationally where love and intimacy was not poured out in your life. We might have heard a lot of our life, Jesus loves you, and we say, yeah, yeah, I get it. But many of us don't believe it. Or it's a pretty trivial thing in our life. It's hard to grasp the power of God's love over us. But when Jesus looks at this man and says, son, it is clear that a very real and deep and authentic fatherly love pours down into this man's life that strikes something in him. This is Jesus, not even close to rejecting this man, not saying, hey, could you have waited? Or, okay, this, I, you took a risk here. I appreciate that. It's none of that. It's Jesus just pouring out all kinds of love and pulling him near to him by just calling him son. But then going even deeper than just calling him son, he says, your sins are forgiven. Do you, do you see now twice, Jesus has gone past the physical world, the physical brokenness of the situation into the spiritual brokenness. He is speaking over this man's soul, his soul. Now, of course, the religious leaders present in the room are completely shocked by these words, by this whole declaration. And they're thinking, verse seven, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they're, they're thinking that. And Jesus knows, He's, he, he gets it. He can read the room. Um, and, and really, they, the, these religious leaders, they picked up on something very evident now. They were actually reading the room right as well. Who can forgive sins but God alone? This is a good question, actually. Who can do that? Jesus isn't just the miracle worker, but he's actually doing something much deeper, much more powerful, much more soul striking. He, he's going after the healing of this man's soul by forgiving his sins. So Jesus responds to his question with another question to draw out their concerns. He says back, he asks back, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to rise and take up your bed and walk? How would you answer this? Really, like, how would you answer this? Jesus says, what's easier? What is actually easier, to rise and walk or to forgive sins? Now, I imagine Jesus, if he may be asking you and some of you in good bodily health might be quick to say, well, you know, I'd be okay with, with him forgiving my sins, but others of you who might suffer from uh, our sin-riddled, broken bodies, this is a hard question. I mean, I can't help but, just as, as I, I was reflecting and, and, and working through this, I, I think a lot about my own mother who has had multiple sclerosis most of my life, and she is 
wheelchair bound and battling intense pain all the time and sleeping all the time and she can hardly talk um, to me or to my kids and um, she's physically crushed and we've, we've prayed for healing for many years. We've asked God to rid her of this slowly deteriorating disease and I even just stopped and just imagined my dad and my brother, us lowering my mom through that roof. And if I'm there, and I honestly ask the question, and I'm asked this question by Jesus, I'm going to probably go to my own thoughts, which is like, well, you know, Jesus, it's actually kind of easy just to say your sins are forgiven. That's easy. You don't have to prove that. You're just, they're words. You just said it. How do I know that's true? How, how do I believe you? How do, I, how do I know? This seems like the easier claim and the easier response. But if she, my mom, if she gets up and walks and, and talks as if I remembered her when, when I was a teenager, I would then know for sure this is God, right? <laughs> well, I don't know. This is a hard question. This is actually a big question that many of us have to wrestle, all of us have to wrestle with. How would you honestly answer? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? This is a hard question. Well, we may say that he took the easy road with his initial response, but when Jesus started with forgiveness of sins, he actually did take the hard road and he is gonna communicate and show that he is starting a journey on the hard road. This is not an easy answer, an easy response. With this declaration of forgiveness of this man came an assumed and obvious identity as divinity. These religious leaders, when he, when he says that, Oh, they're mad. Why are they mad? Because he is claiming to be God. Only God can forgive sins. Only God has the right to bring judgment to our very souls. Only God can claim righteousness or unrighteousness. It would have been much easier for him to heal the man and just be on his way, but he drew a line in the sand for everybody in that house to see that he is not there just for the physical restoration. He is there to restore the souls of humanity to a right relationship with God the Father. With Jesus' claim, over this man comes a whole new layer of Jesus' identity for us to wrestle with, for the people there had, they had to wrestle with. And, and, and one that I think we all need to wrestle with today before we leave here. We need to wrestle with this reality. Jesus does care about our bodily suffering. Clearly his heart breaks for the broken bodies that we suffer in, the pain and the breakdown from cancer, from disease, from death. He mourns that in our everyday lives. And yet he sees all the way to the bottom of our souls. 
he's also moved with compassion when he sees the state of our souls. All of us, if we stop and we're willing to look at the state of our souls, what do we carry? What are we filled with? Fear, guilt, shame, anxiety, depression, loneliness. Those things just fill us, don't they? Well, he wants to heal us from that hidden pain. The stuff that we try to tap down with alcohol or tap down with uh, all kinds of things, workaholism, relationships with a, a man or a woman, or what our kids, I mean, we can do it with all kinds of things. We can fill it, but Jesus looks all the way in there and he says, I'm, I'm here to address that. I'm addressing your soul. Look, this is not, and this is not Jesus taking the easier path. He's not just doing it with words. He's not just looking at this and just using words, taking the easier path. It's divinity addressing our soul's need. And Jesus says in verse 10, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That title, son of man, that's a really important title that, that Jesus uses for himself. It occurs 88 times in the New Testament and Jesus uh, often uses it for himself. It was a constant reference of both Jesus' humanity, but also his divinity. Jesus offers forgiveness of sins and refers to himself as the son of man. And, and what and this, this declaration, what he is doing in this moment is enough to bring him to trial, to bring him before the religious leaders. It wasn't the healings or the miracles that got him into trouble. It was his ultimate message that he came to seek and save the lost and bring them back to himself. So it actually would have been easier for Jesus to just stay in the physical realm, to just stay in that spot, just be our great healer, which he's, he is. But he decided to go to heal our soul, forgiveness of sins. He took the harder path. And so fast forwarding to the end of Jesus' life, where does this path lead to him? Where does it ultimately lead to him? Well, we see in Matthew 26, verse 64, Jesus is on trial, ready to be crucified. He's before the religious council and he's asked, are you the Messiah? He's asked if he's the Messiah. And this is what Jesus says. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. This sentence, this very sentence set the religious leaders absolutely ablaze. They tore their clothes. They shouted in blas shouted blasphemy. And here's what's important about that. Jesus, he took this hard road he made all of the religious leaders mad. He went to the cross to be humiliated, to be on display. 
He took on that physical pain. He did all of that because he is restoring your soul to himself. And going back into the story, we see the eyes shift away from the religious leaders back to the man himself. Remember, this guy's still in the room. There's a little side conversation, Jesus and the religious leaders, and this man is still in the room. And he's filled with faith, and his soul has been set free, and he's still crumpled up on the floor, unable to walk, and Jesus says to him, verse 11, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And it says, verse 12, he rose immediately, picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Instantly, a party breaks out. I mean, instantly, full of awe and glory. But notice how this glory is not for the man. It's not for anybody but Jesus and him alone. And I think what's powerful here is that Jesus, he's still saying something that I think the people aren't quite getting. He still understands and knows that people aren't quite grasping what's really going on here. It wasn't until the physical healing happened that the party started. Jesus knows that there is something deeper happening in the world and in this story and that is going to unfold. There's a, there's a soul transformation for people and individuals that's about to start happening. And he wants people to start realizing and grasping his disciples to be able to see that this is no ordinary man. This is not just a miracle worker of the body. Yes, Jesus is a great teacher. We see that. That's why everybody came to see him. Obviously, Jesus was a great miracle worker. That's why this man and his friends wanted to rip a hole in the roof. But what Mark, the author here, wants you and I to experience is that right here, right now, Jesus is divinity. Jesus as God. It's not just as God up there in the cosmos, detached from humanity, all-powerful. Yes, that he is there, but this is God as the one who sees into the very bottom of our soul. And he just saw into the very bottom of that man's soul that moved him with compassion, that forgave him, healed him, and brought him restoration. God who comes to us from the Father, tender, loving, intentional, the God who addresses our deepest need, forgiveness of sins. Mark is trying to show us something bigger and deeper and better. And again, we know that Jesus was arrested. He was tried and he was crucified on a cross because of everything he said right here to this man. It was at the cross that he made it clear that this forgiveness is not just for this man. It's not just for the disciples or those following Jesus around. It is there for you and I. It's for us. We've got to bring this into our world. 
do we understand how amazing it is to go around this building in this world today forgiven? I, I was thinking about that. Do I know how, how amazing that is? Do I really get how amazing it is that I'm forgiven? Uh, Psalm 32 says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the one, the, the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. In other words, happy are you if your sins are forgiven. And listen, this isn't just Jesus, again, waving it away. This isn't him just winking at sin and saying, I got it covered like it never happened. No, this is Jesus displaying and proving his forgiveness by standing in our place on the cross. He is taking our sin, our guilt, our fear, our anxiety. He's taking that all upon himself and he is giving us his righteousness That's what forgiveness is all about. He did not need to be forgiven. He was without sin, but he took the guilt and the shame upon himself. Justice was served at the cross. So let's ask Jesus, or let's let Jesus ask us again, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and take up your bed and walk. Well, Jesus knew the answer the answer of forgiveness would be excruciating for him. The hard path of forgiveness would be really hard for him. But today we have the opportunity to wrestle with this, to take his forgiveness or to reject it, to walk in that blessed joy, the awe, the glory of God, uh, the, the hope that he gives us in the forgiveness of sin, or to continue to try to find something else in this world that might do the trick. So with all humility and hope, let's go back in this room where Jesus is and let's just end with just a moment of awe and joy and celebration as everybody in that room is trying to process and we all have an opportunity to process. Who is this Jesus? Who really is he? Let's pray. Father, we... Uh, come before you in this moment and we want to put ourselves in this room where the paralytic came down and where chaos broke out and where you saw the hearts of men and you're seeing all that's going on and we want to ask Lord that you would bring your forgiveness here. Bring your divine self 100% man, yes, but 100% God. Would you bring your divinity here into our lives right now? And God, would you forgive us of our sins? And I pray for those here who may be really wrestling with this. What does this mean? What does this look like? I don't feel the hope. I don't feel that joy. I, I pray that you'd meet them where they are right now. And God, that you'd begin to work and help them take this journey of really discovering, just discovering what you are doing in their soul. God, be here. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K A R L roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.